Welcome to the Certified Skills in AI and Tech podcast brought to you by Criterion. Criterion is a global leader in assessment solutions, providing software for test development and delivery, as well as test development services for low to high stakes certification programs. Ira, welcome to the Certified Skills in AI and Tech podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Pretty good. Ira, you are the Vice President of Payer Relations and Medical Affairs at Tempest Labs. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Yes. Awesome. Uh, and we also have our co-host, uh, Buzz Walker, Chief Revenue Officer here at Criterion. Hey, Buzz. Hello, Ira. Good to meet Awesome. Ira, we'd love to hear a little bit about your journey and sort of what brought you to this position, being in an inter interesting space of biotech and AI and, you know, just a whole new world that's sort of emerging, emerging and, you know, challenging the way we even think about healthcare. Sure. Uh, I am not a tech person by training. Um, I am a uh, board certified internal medicine physician. Uh, I spent uh, seven years in academia after my residency and, uh, from there, uh, went into the business world of healthcare, uh, first as CMO of a Medicare demonstration project for the frail elderly for a few years, then in the health system world uh, as an assistant CMO for three years, and then 10 years of Aetna doing a lot of different jobs, but ultimately uh, moving up to be chief of staff for clinical operations in the office of the CMO and uh, working on their oncology strategy uh, for four years. And I think that's where I started to deepen my uh, love for technology, although I will say that I do have a certificate in uh, health information technology that I got in either 2004 or 2005, because when I was on the health system side, we were challenged by the new CMS quality measures, and I needed to work closely with the IT department to grab those metrics. So it's been an interesting journey. I spent five years at Janssen after that, helping them with a... Uh, broad-based uh, above-brand quality strategy, a year as CMO of a regional health plan, and now at Tempest, which is kind of the right place for me because they are a data company and they are an AI company. They happen to be working in the cancer genomic space as well as pharmacogenomics and whole exome sequencing. Um, but at its core, it's really a tech company. So I'm, I'm very happy to be here and to uh, help my colleagues. That sounds all amazing. I mean, that's that's a, that's a lot of different uh, amazing background, different experiences. I mean, you know, it just seems like you're in the right place right now, being in this AI on the, on the forefront of uh, all these changes. What are some of the uh, uh, trends you're seeing right now within the healthcare industry when it comes to AI and the way AI is impacting everything, uh, the way it functions? Well, I think, you know, AI is in one way a... Uh, a pull uh, in that um, there is just this rapid innovation happening across all industry segments, um, out, particularly outside of healthcare, where I think AI applications are way ahead of where we are in healthcare. But um, you know, besides that, the obvious things that are happening in you know e-commerce and retail, banking and finance, um, transportation and logistics, heavy manufacturing, all those things. In healthcare, it's kind of a push. And the push is because, you know, healthcare 
unfortunately, is a very regulated field, a uh, very conservative field. Um, there's a lot of fragmentation in um, a lot of the areas that would otherwise in other industries be working together. And so that's kind of inhibited change. But the real push is that we have huge problems in healthcare. We have health inequity. We have the demographics of an aging population. We have uh, the need for more uh, effective value-based contracting. And we, and we have a healthcare workforce shortage. So there's a lot of ways AI can help. Yeah, it's really interesting that you mentioned the, about the workforce uh, shortage. Buzz, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I know we we sort of chatted last week about you know whether AI can play a role in the workforce shortage. Where does training play a role in it? Would love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, as we look um, across industries, we see a, a similar theme of people that are that are well, let's say companies that have jobs yet they can't find the trained staff that are able to take on the responsibilities that they have available for them. So there seems to be this huge gap. Um, if you you can look at supply chain management, we all experienced that through the pandemic and, and all the challenges there. That was uh, certainly unprecedented events that occurred, but it also became a, a people information problem and probably much like you see in the healthcare area where the the number of people coming into hospitals and medical facilities and in need of care is not going down uh, the population's aging the population's increasing uh, you know all those point to more and more overtax system coming out of a pandemic that really tax the services there uh, it seems like a, an opportunity for ai but the other side of it is you know we focus so much on just the technology technology itself, but also what about the training, the people that have to be prepared to implement it? The the best technology you could possibly make, if it goes unused or the features and capabilities go unused or misused, then that's a real problem too. Yeah, I think you're right, Buzz. You know, as I talk to more people about AI, because we at my company are in the process of now launching more AI products in um, a broader array of applications. And, you know, we always say almost like the labeling uh, of certain, uh, you know, prescription drugs or certain uh, heavy machinery tools, uh, you know, there's that red warning label. And I always say, uh, particularly with generative AI, uh, use generative AI responsibly, meaning understand what you're doing what the tools will do, what the tools won't do, and then the litany of um, issues behind that as you peel the onion regarding how these technologies work. They require significant amounts of training and an understanding of what the, the application is intended to do, how you can work with it, and what the limitations are. Without that, you can't really get that application and workforce multiplier that you're talking about, Buzz. And get into the training and, and making people aware of both how to use it and also how the AI itself was trained. 
and it has its specific purpose and use. Not that it won't extend, not that it won't learn more over time, but you need people to be able to understand where it's at right now, how they should interact with it. And then as it's training, you need to be able to continuously update that training as well. So it's not just a, a once and done type of thing when you start thinking about AI and training, it, it continues. So you can keep all the things in place that you talked about, whether it's fairness and equity, whether it's proper use of the technology. So it does all come back to responsible implementation of AI and the technology itself, which training has a huge role in. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're saying, Buzz, gets to the heart of how generative AI is built. Um, because, you know, as I do more of my own learning journey, and I listen to the fantastic technical experts that I work with in my company, um, which, by the way, has been one of the best benefits of uh, that career move ever. Uh, I work with a huge cadre of really, really smart people. And, you know, what I've been taught is that we had previous uh, narrow construct AI that was focused on resolving one task. And, you know, the data that came to the, uh, the data pool that helped in resolving that one task was highly cleansed. You could trust it. And it was for one purpose. Let's say, for example, the purpose is to understand uh, an unknown disease through um, dry lab analysis of RNA, whole transcriptome RNA. So that would be very narrow. But the types of things we see in the public space now, of which the future healthcare applications will be a blend of both narrow and broad, uh, really include the types of generative AI that you know augment or automate or accelerate work. And they work on foundation models, which really contain these you know, expansive neural networks that draw a ton of data from all over. And all that data isn't necessarily as uh, cleansed as you'd like. It could be audio, video, could be sensor data, could be anything, it comes in a variety of formats. But you, know, you can use that for a variety of tasks. But as you're training and you're working with it, you have to be aware of that so you can raise a flag and say, wait a minute, I have my first iteration of this model, but now I want to go to a second iteration. Am I observing what I think I'm going to observe? And I think that the training component there and the continuous monitoring are key components to getting it successful. Interesting. Go ahead, Buzz. I'm just saying this to, to, to tag on to that when we, we talked about the training and we talked about the model, but you also talked about the integration of the data and being able to find the data and access to it, which is another whole set of group of people that need to be trained, if you will, or at least aware, maybe not as much about the AI algorithm itself, but understanding what data needs to feed it, where it's going to come from, and then how am I going to architect this solution so that I can feed that data to it in the, the volume and the timing that it wants to. So that you have a whole group of architects now and data experts who may know what they know, but not necessarily know what it has to do with the model that you're talking about. They're used to integrating other things. So now you, you're calling on the IT department to help you build this network and infrastructure to be able to access the data in order for the AI to be able to work for to the great promise that it has in, in healthcare. But if you don't do that right or well, you also have a problem. 
Right. I mean, I think people need to understand. And by this, I'll use the simple example of um, uh, digital diagnostics, which holds huge promise in healthcare. Uh, you got to know that, you know, the machine learning starts with the data and that data gets fed into a model and it's prepped. Uh, it's used as training data. And then, you know, the machine learning, you know, creates that model. And then, you know, programmers choose how you want to use it. And then the computer kind of, after a while, kind of trains itself. But you, you have to be able to figure that out and watch it happen. So if you're doing digital pathology, you have to know this is the process upon which higher insights happen because the machine can, in sort of an unsupervised machine learning fashion, grab insights that you never saw before. But if you didn't understand the process, how would you know that? And that requires, you know, insightful and knowledgeable trainers and overseers who are going to be able to say, yeah, that's right. Now let's incorporate that for the benefit of everyone. When you think about the the radical shift, I guess when ChatGPT came out, everyone's heads were turning. They were like, okay, AI is here. Even though AI has been here, but when the tool came out, it made it accessible to people. And when people got it in their hands, they're like, oh, wow, this is really game-changing. Was there sort of a moment this year where when ChatGPT came out, or AI just was on everyone's mind where you saw a radical shift in, high, in, in healthcare and, and the way everything is being thought about and, uh, you know, a, a new approach, essentially. Yeah, I think what it did was some kind of societal consciousness raising, because <laughs> I read somewhere that uh, in, the, in two months, uh, ChatGPT had 100 million people come on and use the... Um, the technology. They logged on for free, I guess at OpenAI, and then they just did it. And so now everyone's eyes are open and they're saying, oh, we can do this. But then as you guys pointed out, there's a lot of caveats to, you know, can we do this? Again, I go back to my label discussion example, which is, you know, sometimes you need to put that label on, don't try this at home. <laughs> Consult with a professional. <laughs> Certainly, you know, as, a, as an AI business, we operate in that manner because we want a partner to make healthcare better. You know, our goal is to make every doctor the best doctor possible every day, no matter whether they had enough coffee or not that day. And having practiced medicine uh, for uh, a part of my career, I can tell you it is hugely demanding, very rigorous, and the flow of information that is coming at us right now is just unprecedented. So to have a tool that allows for the um, grabbing of the correct curated information, processing that and bouncing it up against best practice guidelines to allow for a physician to have all the information summarized, analyzed and given to them, not as a decision, but as a guidance to allow them to make the decision that just takes a huge burden off of them so they can then be more patient facing and do the things that I enjoyed the most out of being a doctor. You know, I, I worked in and ran a hospitalist program for almost five years and that patient interaction is invaluable. And if you combine it with a quiet confidence that you know you've got all the data, 
you know you've got the most current guidelines and you're implementing the best care possible, then you can put 100% of your focus on the things machines can't do in patient care. And that to me is a huge promise in healthcare. Are there any more areas that uh, you or your company are seeing that advances with AI and healthcare that you can share with us today? Oh, I mean, there are just so many applications uh, of AI in healthcare. It's innumerable. And I like to bucket them in two categories, although they're not uh, mutually exclusive. The one category is the um, repetitive, mundane tasks that um, AI could be used as an everyday tool to uh, create dramatic efficiencies in as well as um, accuracy. And the other are very specialized um, sort of peak of science applications where AI, because of the vast ability to push through big data, can then give us deeper insights than we ever had. So those are sort of the two extremes. And then I think you think about healthcare as starting at those two poles and then moving inward. So, you know, you think about the mundane stuff. Think about healthcare versus banking. How you access your information, can you even get it? Is it organized? Is it shareable? And if you go to a facility, um, you know, I talk to people with, uh, you know, have multiple chronic illnesses who are going on a disease journey, and they'll say to me, I go to Dr. A, I give them my medications, my demographics, my chief complaint, whatever. Two days later, I get referred to Dr. B. I go and do the exact same thing. I go to Dr. C, I do the exact same thing. Why can't these people be like Amazon and know what I need and just order it for me? And so, you know, you've got that kind of, you know, ability to automate and um, turbocharge mundane tasks that have to do with word processing and just basic data management. And you know, that gives you great increases in productivity and that could free up some healthcare people. Uh, then you move into more sophisticated tasks, which are also a semi-production line, but we don't think of it that way. So um, at Tempest, we are a cancer genomics company in uh, some of our AI and data applications. And uh, we work with the pathology community. And, you know, pathology is all about receiving specimens, uh, whether it's, um, you know, gross anatomic pathology, whether it's molecular pathology, and you have to take your specimens, examine them, uh, process them, uh, apply various testings to them, and then come out with a result and spread that result to your colleagues to get your patient to the right diagnosis or the right treatment or both. So, Generative AI and applications related can be a huge plus if you think about digital pathology, if you think about digital radiology and our shortage of mammography reading radiologists, isn't it great to have a, an assistant to help you? They don't make the decision, but they certainly point out things you may not have been seeing or help you discriminate between certain areas you think you see, but you may not. And combine that with comprehensive genomic profile testing that is so powerful. And also it saves time, it saves uh, workforce effort, you reduce burnout in healthcare. I read somewhere that in the last two years, 
400,000 people have left healthcare. Doctors, nurses, pharmacists, technicians, lab people. It, it's, it's a hard, hard set of jobs. And AI could be the savior. So you've got those things. Then if you move up the scale to really complex sets of tasks, you can think about what it takes to do new drug discovery. We have seen uh, deep learning models that look at structures of proteins, how they do not just primary and secondary folding that we already knew, but then uh, tertiary and quaternary folding, which has always been a scientific dilemma in understanding full protein configuration. And so now we combine this with a learning model. You know, we have uh, machine learning here uh, and we have a series of uh, data points you could expose that machine learning to, tool to. Now you've got a powerful tool for drug discovery. And then you add into that the genomics revolution and we start approaching the ability to uh, cure or ameliorate disease and illness in ways that we had never thought possible. Uh, even only 10 years ago. And I think I'm just sort of extracting that from a quote from Gen Dr. Dudna in talking about uh, that work that was done on her end in CRISPR. But really that's only part of it because you need the data power that you get with AI to make these things work. So in short, you're saving more lives with AI. That's what it comes down to. Well, yeah, it's, you know, I hate to be crass, but having spent a lot of my career in the administrative world of health insurance and hospital systems, and then even five years on the pharma side, it's not enough to save more lives. You have to be able to save more lives with better customer experience in shorter time horizons and do it cheaper. That's it. When you think about the skills needed for the up-and-coming doctors, physicians, healthcare administrators, you know, with the emergence of AI, um, what are some tips you would give out give out to the people that are probably entering the force for the first time and thinking about uh, AI skills and how they can be sort of on the forefront of this uh, sort of AI revolution? What, what are the skills that you think are probably the most important for those uh, up-and-coming people? Gosh, I'm going to put a heavy burden on them because – I think they need the same set of skills that I was told to attain when I was training, which is be able to intake vast amounts of information, be able to relate that information to arrive at logical conclusions from information that's gathered in a sort of uh, sequent, not, I won't say it's, it's either sequential or, or simultaneous, but you have to be able to pull in lots of information and then get a feeling about what you need to do. And then you have sort of a hierarchy of priorities about what you need to do and what time frame to get the job done to help your patient. That doesn't go away. And then also what doesn't go away is your ability to actually understand the patient. Because even 2000 years later, it's much more important to understand what patient has the disease than what uh, disease the patient has. So you gotta know people. But in addition, the new set of skills, I think, are that physicians and all of the other associated healthcare professionals need to be open to using these tools as their digital partners. They will not replace them, but it will augment their ability to do the right thing at the right time with the right data. Because if the tools can vacuum up all the data 
such that it's both current and complete, push it through a logic engine that tells you what the guidelines say, the physician still makes the ultimate call, but now they have guidance by their assistants. And you have to be open to that. And you have to know how it works. And you have to know when it, when it doesn't work. That, 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 yeah, that sounds really interesting. It seems like it's a, it seems like it's a new thought process for many of these young people that are coming into the space, and and even the schools. I'm sure they're probably scrambling to figure out how to incorporate, you know, AI and this whole new technology in their training program. So it's sort of a new learning space. Um, Buzz, any thoughts on, uh, you know, the sort of the skills ch shift in in healthcare? Well, I think it, it's just not in healthcare and uh, really appreciate the perspective you gave Ira of, of the changes in the way that uh, people need to make decisions and the amount of data that was out there. And I think through my career, I've seen uh, quite a few shifts caused by technology. And uh, this is yet another one and perhaps one of the more important ones that we've seen in quite a while in that it will provide capabilities to really do things that we've really been unable to do before. If I, I just think about the number of, of studies that are done on drugs or diseases that and uh, a doctor with a full patient load all day, all week, nonstop, that how are they supposed to be able to consume that information? And now you have a way that, uh, you know, it's like the, the, the far most advanced that you could do that you pull in it'll go figure out the relevant information the parts of the studies that were important to the situation you are and be able to apply it almost in real time to a situation or a case in front of you or in the next day that's just a, a fantastic advance for what we're able to do with patients and, we, and and i see it in all these other industries but it still comes down to the fundamentals of yes this technology has great promise but how do we get it in place at the hands of knowledgeable people that know how to use it properly and that we've trained the models properly and we have access to the data proper all that thing that goes around to make it a full solution rather than just a really cool piece of technology and that's where we're really at the the cusp of is all the other parts that need to go around it not just a chat GBT learning engine or or generative engine or any of the other AI. It's how we pull the whole ecosystem around it in order to be able to support that going forward. Oh, I have confidence, Buzz, that the next generation of physicians and healthcare professionals will do it. Yeah. And I can tell you why. This just comes from even a few years ago. I was out in our garage with my younger son and we had gotten new windshield wipers. And I said, oh, these are different. I don't know how to put these on the car. Let me go in and grab the box or something. I don't know what I was grabbing. So I come out and the windshield wipers are on the car. And I said, how did you do that? And he said, oh, I just looked at what it was and I typed it into YouTube. So yeah. that's the next generation. If they can yeah. figure that out. They can figure out generative AI. <laughs> that's great. Well, Ira, we really appreciate your time and your insights. Uh, thank you for joining us today.
Oh, you're welcome, Orbaz. And uh, Buzz, it's been a pleasure. And it just, you know, lets me do what I like to do, which is help doctors be better doctors, which is what we do at Tempest. That's great, Ira. Thank you very much for your time today. You're very welcome. See you guys. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Certified Skills and AI and Tech podcast brought to you by Criterion, where we provide platforms, software, and test development and delivery services for certification programs.